Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody. I just want to reflect on um, our communion time we had um, just for a moment and um, just personal, you know, just sharing, you know. Um, that was really good. I just, I, I don't know. Communion should be really good every time, right? But, um, and it is. But sometimes, I think sometimes the Lord just kind of speaks to you or does something in you. And that was one of those moments. So I'm, I'm thankful. Um, and it just reminded me that he is always present. He is always moving. Um, he lives inside of us. He is active um, when we feel him and when we don't. So, you know, this morning I felt him. And sometimes I don't. Does that make him less real? No, of course it doesn't. He is ever-present. He is always there. Um, he, we are his temple. Um, he resides and lives inside of us, the scripture talks about. And so, anyways, I was reminded of that, and I thought I would just share that with you, that God is always present. He loves you. He cares for you when you feel him and when you don't. Um, and when you don't, press in more. And when you feel him, um, be thankful and rejoice. And when you don't, press in and thank God that he is real, that he is active. And remember, the scripture tells us to remember um, when we take communion, to remember what he's done. And scripture constantly exhorts us as, as, a, as a way of building our faith to remember who he is and his faithfulness and goodness. Um, so that's a freebie this morning. Just thought I'd encourage you with that. Um, as we jump into the, the, the wrapping up our series on um, Love Thy Neighborhood, I love this concept in this series. Um, and when, when, when we're, we were starting it, I was like, man, I, I love this. I mean, especially going into Easter, that this is a time to really, just all the time, but this is a time to really love the people around us, right? Let's go out of our way to really engage and love the people around us. No-brainer, of course we're supposed to do that, but especially right now. So as we just wrap this series up, let's think about that and think of practical ways. Even if you want to space out while I'm talking, that's cool. Space out and think about how you can love the people around you. That's okay. That's what you're supposed to get out of this sermon anyway. So I give you full permission if I see eyes kind of wandering. I'm assuming you're thinking about how you can love your neighbor in your neighborhood. Um, I hope that this, mess, this, this series has given you practical application and we'll, we'll hit a couple more on today. Um, but really, the whole purpose of this is for us to embrace the love of God and to share that with those around us. That we would practically share the love of Jesus with the people in our lives. And um, especially during this, this season, those in our neighborhoods. And, and we can talk about what that is in a minute. Andy started off with Jeremiah 29. Um, and I love the picture this gives. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. I love that. Um, that that should be our heart. Let's look at our motivations. You know, that's, that's what really I think a lot of times where we need to kind of dive down into um, when we... We could think of practical ways to, do, to love our neighborhood, but let's dive into also our motivations. What, why do we do that? What is our motivation to love the people around us? 
And one of them is to seek peace and prosperity of the people around us, that, that, that we carry goodwill with us and, and the love of God for them. Um, I, I, I like that. And when we, when we talk about in a practical way how we do that, I think it differs for every person. And we have to personally embrace these bigger concepts and say, okay, this is who I am. I am a person who seeks prosperity and peace for the people around me, in my workplace, in my neighborhood. That is the person I am. I am a person who is compelled by the love of Christ to do things that other people wouldn't do. That's who I am. And we have to choose those things because the, the, the actual outworking of that is different for each one of us, right? It's going to look different of how you love your neighbor and how I love my neighbor, often. Andy talked about how love is courageous, that we have to have courage often to step out into love. We talked about how love is selfless and hospitable, that we have to sometimes be willing to give of ourselves. Sometimes we have to be willing to sacrifice and to be selfless, to be able to love those around us. Um, talked about how if we are seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, that we should speak life into it. Um, man, I, I work with high schoolers um, a lot, and um, I do these, these, these things on different sports teams. They call, they, we call them character coaching. So you go to the sports team, and you talk about some sort of character. And one of the things I talk about a lot is the, the power of our words. Um, that it has the power to build up or to tear down. Um, that, you know, by simply just encouraging somebody, you could change the direction of their day and sometimes their entire life. Um, and you could do that in your, in your everyday life. If we commit to being a person at the core of who we are, who speaks life, who builds people up, who encourages and does not tear down ever, then we will change the people's lives around us. And we will reflect God's heart towards them. So that we're people who, who speak life. And we, we know that there's power in that. Today we're going to talk about how love compels us. That it requires us. That it even demands of us that we give ourselves away. That, that it demands that if we choose love, we choose to give ourselves away to those around us. So when you think of, we're going to take a step back. When you think of your neighborhood, what do you think of? When I, when I, you go ahead, speak it out. Somebody, somebody, I heard, I heard of houses. Yeah, so we think of the physical structures, right? We think of houses and streets. And if you live in a, one of the, the, the gated communities, you'll have, you know, a pool and a tennis court and, those types of things, or in one of those pre-planned places. Um, so you think of those things. What else do you think of? You think of, hopefully, your neighbors. Hopefully, the people who live in those houses and the, those places, right? So we think of the physical structures. We also think of, sometimes, if you live in a more rural area, the beauty and the nature, a stream, a lake, uh, you know, trees. Birds, deer run through the neighborhood sometime. Um, and you think of people. That, that makes up our communities. Um, so when we think of all those things, how then do we love our neighborhood? 
how do we practically love our neighborhood? What kind of things can we do that will show that we care and that we love our neighborhood? It's important to think beyond just the people next door because how we act, you know, in our, in, in our walking around and what we do can make a difference. I want to tell a quick story. I was going to have this later, but I'm going to tell it now. Um, when we drive to church on Sunday mornings, we, we pass a couple. Maybe some of you have seen this couple. We pass a couple almost every Sunday. Now, they may be out every day. I see them every Sunday morning. They're on their walk, okay? Almost every Sunday, guaranteed. They are walking either up or down, and they have a black trash bag. And they are picking up trash along the street. It's usually half full by the time I get there. They are spending at least an hour, because there's a big gap that I come and I see them, walking and picking up trash every Sunday morning. That's an expression of loving their neighborhood. They wouldn't do that unless they cared, right? Cared about the environment, cared about the, the neighborhood, how it looks, the people around them. They are expressing their love for the neighborhood. I don't know if they're Christ followers or not. Maybe they go to church, you know, Saturday evenings, not Sunday mornings. But, but they are practically expressing the love for their neighborhood. I, I think that's awesome. And we could, we could do this in so many ways, but we have to choose it. We have to choose love. And when we choose love, we're often choosing to give our time. When we choose love, we're all often choosing to give of ourselves. It demands. It, it, it compels us. Um, it's something that we have to embrace. So Jesus, in response to um, a, a, a religious person asking a really good question, tells a story that I think really talks about who our neighborhood, who our neighbor is, and how we are supposed to treat our neighbors, how we're supposed to respond to a need. So this, this man asks Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in the context of this, this was not a, a question that, so in, in Acts 2, when they say, what must I do to be saved? That was an authentic question. They were asking, how do I receive this incredible gift? This person was, say, was kind of challenging Jesus a little um, at the time. But, man, what a question. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus replies, what's written in the, in the law? And, and the, the man replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and with all your strength, and then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. We can, we can talk all day on that. We won't. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But, but the man says he wants to justify himself now. He wants to kind of say, okay, you know, yeah, I'm not living completely up to that, but here's why. And he says, who is my neighbor? Challenging Jesus again. So who's my neighbor? I mean, is it everybody? Do I have to just, you know, do, is, is my neighbor every person who's in need around the world? I mean, that's overwhelming. That, that's so overwhelming, it's paralyzing, right? You, you, you won't do anything. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let me, let me explain this. He says, a man, he tells, tells a story. He says, a man was going down from Jericho to, 
from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a common path that, that, that religious people would walk. When he was attracted by rob when he was attacked, attracted, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, religious person, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side, physically went out of his way to avoid him. So too, a Levite, another religious person, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, could have been religious, but the Samaritans were considered outcasts, almost enemies. They lived in a separate area. They were unclean. They were not people that religious people hung out with. Okay? We can easily put that into our context. You can think of, of groups and people like that. Giving you a second. Okay? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came, so oh, I think I skipped. Nope. Traveled. Came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He says, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have had. That's like going the extra mile. I mean, that's going way beyond what you would expect. So then Jesus says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law says this, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now remember, this story was a response to a challenge of the guy trying to justify why he does not live up to the standard that the law requires. Trying to justify it. And Jesus tells this story. Hey, you're walking along the road and you see somebody in need, what do you do? It's basically what he's asking him. And he says, the people like you in this story, they literally go out of their way to avoid the person in need. And the person who's totally different than you, that you would consider not religious, that you would consider, you know, maybe on the edge or of society or somebody you wouldn't naturally hang out with or associate with, that person is the hero in the story because they had compassion, because they met a need, because they, they went the extra mile. Wow. There's so many things we could talk about in this story. But what I want to kind of hone in on is that this person chose, this person chose love. This person chose compassion. This Samaritan person chose to be interrupted, to stop their, I mean, he had somewhere to go. 
He was traveling the same road. He was going from one city to the next. He might have had a family waiting for him or a job he needed to get to. But what he did was he chose to go out of his way to engage, to be interrupted, for his life to be put on hold and to care for another life. Wow. And that is what makes a difference. That is what will show really in a practical way how we love our neighbor. That looks different for every one of us. Because it's not about a formula. It's about being open. It's about being available. It's about willing, being willing. It's about choosing in the moment to love. What I tell these high school students when I talk to them, I tell them, you have to choose who you want to be before you get in the moment. You have to choose the person you want to become. You have to choose who you want to be. What are your values? What are, what are the things that drive you? What are the things that compel you? And choose what those things are now so that in the moment you will make the right decisions. And eat with this, that's, that applies very much so. When we think about how are we going to love our neighbors, the people at work, the people in your neighborhood, your ne literally your next door neighbor. When there's a need or when there's an opportunity, what have you chosen to do in advance? Have you chosen to interrupt your schedule already because you're going to meet that need? Have you chosen, have you put aside a certain amount of money to meet that need? Have you, have you done the things in advance to make sure you're going to be the person here that goes out of their way to meet the need and to be the Good Samaritan? Instead of going around, we need to be the people who draw near. We need to be the type of person who will draw near to people's needs who will lean in to a problem, who will ask good questions and, and find out really what's happening in their lives. We'll go just a little further, a little deeper, because the love of God is in us. And God loves the people around us. And everybody, stay with me, everybody, everybody has needs. Everybody has insecurities. Everybody has things going on in their life that they could use prayer for. Everybody is hurting in some way. Guaranteed. It, it's there. And if we will lean in, not once, not twice, but over and over and over and over again, we will choose to be that person in advance, then we will break through. We will see opportunities. We will have opportunities to make, meet needs and make a difference, to be that type of person, the good Samaritan. If we choose love, we choose to give our time. If we choose love, we choose to give our time. Our big idea today is that love requires an investment of time. It just does. 
If we choose love, we choose to give our time. Love requires, it demands of us an investment of our time. Now, if you're like me, you don't have a lot of it, probably, right? We all have the same amount, but time is, is I would say, one of our most, if not our most, valuable commodity. Yes? Raise your hand if you agree. I mean, do you, do you feel that? Time is limited. It's one of our most valuable commodities. Obviously, the love of God, you know, his Holy Spirit. We could talk about other, other things, but when we just talk about naturally, time is one of our most valuable commodities. And we trade it, in a sense. We, we allot it. And some of it we have to spend certain ways, but we also have some that we choose how we spend. And especially in our culture, culturally, we are a busy, busy people. When somebody asks you, how's your week, or how you doing, or what did you have on this week, how many times out of 10 is it, oh, it's a busy week. I've been busy today. I've, I've got a busy, busy time coming up. How many times out of 10? You know, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10? I mean, maybe not that many, but it's high. It's high. We, and, and, and for some strange reason, we value busyness. We say we're busy because we think that if we're busy, then we're important. And if we're busy, then people will think well of us. And so we, I, I, I do this. I catch myself doing this. Oh, man, it's been crazy, busy. Um, and that's a normal response. That's part of our culture. So we have to kind of battle that or fight that. The psychologists have actually coined this term. And the, the term is time famine. That in our culture, we, we have a, what is called time famine. That 34% of us feel rushed. 61% of us feel like we don't have any excess time. 40% of us say that our biggest problem is time, even over money. Man, that's a lot. We feel the, the, the stress, the crunch, the pressure on our time. But if we are going to love our neighbor, if we're going to reach out to those around us, that's the very thing we have to give. Loving demands time. Now here's where faith comes in. That God has ordained our steps. That, that he, we can trust him by faith with the time we have. I mean, if, if you're a college student and you've got the exams happening, you got your exams happening, you're thinking about, um, you know, what, what, what next steps, jobs, those types of things, you have a very limited amount of time. If you're a family person and you've got multiple kids running in multiple directions, all you feel like is your time is given to driving them around. Anybody, anybody relate? Yes, of course. We, are, we have a very limited amount of time. But Jesus, he welcomed interruptions. He welcomed interruptions. Sometimes these interruptions would be so demanding that he would go out of his way for a couple days to meet a need. 
Sometimes he would veer off course. But Jesus, he didn't go, he didn't walk around those, those interruptions. He embraced them. And we need to make margin in our life to be able to embrace the moments where God interrupts. Where God comes in and interrupts our normal, everyday allotment of time. We need to be, be those who embrace an interruption. I did a quick breakdown. I, I didn't do a quick breakdown. I researched the breakdown of our, our time. So our average lifespan is somewhere between 25,915, one, one thing, to 28,835, depending on what study and where in the world you live. So a, around 75 to 79 years. That's our average lifespan. We, go to the next slide, we, Sitting down, it says we spend 29% of our day sitting down. So that's doing other things, 7,709 days total. 6.8% of our lives are socializing with family and friends, 1,765 days, important stuff. Next. We have 0.69 of our lives exercising, 180 days total. I think we could up that. 41% of our lives, 10,625 days, looking at technology. Now, that's, that's work, that's everything. But discretionary time of technology, the other study said, was, was 4,000 days, 11 years and four months, looking at so, social media, you know, TV, Netflix, all those types of things. Yeah. Sleeping, 26 years. Seven years extra tossing, you know, not sleeping but tossing. Eating, four years, six months, 1,583 days. Working, 4,821 days, 13 years, two months. Um, holidays, 12,000 days, three years, two months. School, this will surprise you. This is, this is, this is elementary and, and high school. Um, is only 334 days. 334 days when, when the hours are counted up. Yeah. So um, laughing. I love this one. Laughing. Laughing. 115 days. 500,000 laughs in a lifetime. Yeah. I want to beat that. You know, let's laugh more. Standing in line. 235 days. Okay. This one's good. Getting ready. Are you ready? Women. 136 days. Men? 46 days. So women, 136 days. Men, only 46 days. Come on, men. All right. Discretionary time. Now here's where we hone in. Discretionary time. So you got all that social media time. We might be able to go back on the social media and the, and the Netflix and make a little time for our neighbors. I'm just saying. Um, this is not con condemnation, I'm just saying. But also, we have discretionary time. 2,997 days in our lifetime of discretionary time. Eight years, two months, average. That's a lot of time that we could, you know, get outside of our comfort zone, be courageous. We could pray for our neighborhood. We could pray for those people in our lives. And we could take active steps to serve them and to meet practical needs. 
and to ask good questions and to probe a little further and to find out what's really going on in their lives. I also did a quick calculation just because I was thinking about time um, of how much time I have Ava left at my house before she goes to college. It is a little sad. I have 1,145 days left, 27,469 hours, 1,648,150 minutes. I can't count that number of seconds, but a lot of seconds. But yeah, that's, that's not, that's too quick. That's fast. The point here is that we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount. Some of it's already proportioned off. What are we going to do with our discretionary time and, and maybe make choices to, to redirect some of our time that will glorify God and advance his kingdom? So how do we use our time? The, I believe that God wants us to enjoy the time we have. I really do. I think he wants us to enjoy life, to love life, to spend it with family, to make good relationships, to, to, you know, embrace the life he's given us, to live it to the fullest. Um, and I, I believe that that is core part of glorifying God. One of the, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this, it starts off with this, says man's chief end is to glorify, and I added into my mind here, love, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This statement on, on the surface level kind of is, is, it just makes you feel good. It's easy to embrace. But when you think of this, man's chief end, that's ultimate purpose, man's chief end. That's got to be connected with passion, with desire, with action. You know, it, it, it has that, that idea of being compelled. Man's chief end is to glorify God or to love God and to enjoy him forever. When we talk about loving God, the scripture talks about that the way that we show we love God is how we love one another is how we love our neighbor, is the, the, how the Samaritan man went out of his way to meet the need of another human being who, who God loves. So how we love God is by grabbing the heart of God for our neighborhood, is by embracing God's love for those around us. We have to realize this is the, our chief end. Not to work, not to spend our time in all those other ways, our chief end, our passion, our desires, what should compel us is, is the love of God inside of us and his desires being our desires. When that happens, we, I believe we will enjoy that. that. It's enjoyable. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard. But we should enjoy that. When his desires become our desires, we will love loving. We will enjoy meeting those needs. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it might demand time. Sometimes it might demand money. Sometimes it, it, it does 
requires something of us. But if we realize this is how we glorify God, is that we love the people around us. And that becomes the passion and what compels us to do what we do. The, li- the love of Christ must compel us. I was thinking about Paul, how he, he, he goes through this long list of, of things he's endured for the cross. I'm not going to read through, but in 2 Corinthians, you can look at it, 2 Corinthians 11. He goes through this long list of things he's endured for the cross, beatings and shipwrecks and all kinds of things. And his response is that it's the love of Christ that compels me to do what I do. So what does the love of Christ compel us to do? How does the love of Christ compel us to love those around us? What are we willing to do? Are we willing to step out of our comfort zones? Are we willing to engage? Are we willing to ask questions? Um, What does the love of Christ demand? If we choose to love, we choose to engage. We choose the love, we choose to give our time. If we choose the love, we will be the type of people who don't go around a need, but we engage the need. And I think even further, we're, we, if we choose love, that we should be the type of people who look for needs at work. You know, close your eyes or, or, or imagine your layout at work, where you sit, the people around you, if you're at an office. Imagine that. If you're at school, imagine the people in your classrooms, the people on the campus you see, the people you sit with. If you're in a neighborhood, you know, book club, or if you, you know, you can just think of your neighbors around you, or some social things that you do during your day. Picture those people in your mind. How can you choose to love? How can you choose to engage? Again, it's going to look different for every single one of us. There is no do this, do this, do this. Yes, pray for them. Yes, ask good questions. Yes, you know, care about them. Every single person is different and it's going to have a different need. Ask God to reveal those things to you. Pray for those particular people that you engage with every day. That's your neighbor. Look for opportunities to meet needs and then choose in advance. Choose now. Make a a commitment to Jesus that you are going to be the type of person who engages, who leans in, who goes out of your way, who interrupts your time, build margin into your schedule, who who allows God to, boom, just stop everything around you, and then you step into that, that moment, and you're engaged. Yes, you might have a meeting that you need to get to. Yes, your family's waiting. And we don't sacrifice those things, ultimately, but we have to make margin. We have to make room to engage and meet those needs. Because that 
that is how we love. That is how we glorify God. That's where the real enjoyment and stuff of life comes from. If you're having a difficult time, find somebody and meet their, a need that they have. And it might not fix your problems. It won't probably fix your problems. It might, it's not going to just, it's not a magic, but you will feel good about it. It will do something inside of you and then go and meet another need. Send a text of encouragement to somebody. It'll make you feel better. Every Monday, have a list of five or six people that you, you encourage who don't know Jesus. There's all kinds of things we can do to encourage, to uplift, to be courageous, to, to you know, engage and meet needs of the people around us. That's what it means to love thy neighborhood. It means we're willing to spend time, energy, thought, sometimes resources, to really love and encourage and build up and meet the needs of the people around us. Would you stand? I wrote this just for a closing that our faith, who we are, the thing hopefully that is at the core and the center of your being, your faith, your relationship with God and the love of Christ that fills us, that overflows, that stirs us, that it requires, it compels, and it demands that we would draw near and get into the mess of the people's lives around us. It's, that's sometimes very difficult. Sometimes it comes naturally to you. Either way, that is part of being a Christ follower is getting involved in the people's lives around us for the glory of God. That can look different for every single person, but it's, a, it's something that God has called all of us to. We are the church, and I believe we are the hope of the world. We are the hope of our neighborhood. We carry the gospel. We carry love. We carry Christ with us wherever we go. That we would be the ones who draw near instead of the ones who walk on the other side. Lord, I pray that you would help us. God, that you would right now just speak to us about individuals, people. God, that you would um, open our eyes to opportunities. If that's even just to send a note of encouragement or send a gift or mow somebody's lawn or talk to your neighbor when you're taking in and out the trash. Like, ask some questions. Whatever it is, whatever you're speaking to us about, each one of us, God, that the love that you have shown us that, that, that has transformed our life would compel us to love those around us in a practical way, God. That you would be high and lifted up and glorified, and God, that we would enjoy this life you've given us in such an extreme way. God, be glorified. Lord, give us opportunities this week speak to us, one or two people, just even now. Bring their, their, their image into our minds or their names to, to our minds. Thank you, Lord.
I believe God will, I'm done praying, amen. I believe God, God will give you specific people that actually need encouragement, that have a need. So ask him. And then choose now to be that person who engages, even if you don't want to. It's okay to not want to, but it's not okay not to, right? All right, be blessed. Have an incredible week. Let's go meet some needs. Let's be great neighbors. Let's love our neighborhood. Amen.